0: Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Thursday. The House. For the first time in its existence, left James circle. Left plenty of smoking wreckage in its wake, too. Crushed police cars and upended emergency vehicles belched black smoke into the sky. Flames licked the roofs of the neighboring houses. Smears on concrete marked lives lost. Severed body parts lay about like cast-off children's toys. The sort of annihilation one might expect from a plane crash or a meteor strike. All soon forgotten. The world the house entered was at once familiar and exhilaratingly new. Having spent the last 20 years observing its residents, ever since the slow route of sentience crept into its once inert frame, it had an idea of what Jackson Hill and the rest of the world was like, mainly from television, a genius invention that taught it so much. And yet, there are certain things one can only know, down in one's studs, through experience. Freed of its moorings, the house intended to have plenty of experiences. Moving fast for a 400,000-pound structure on a concrete foundation repurposed the makeshift legs, the house turned right onto the main road, proceeding in a direction that Hope would take it to town, a place it had always been curious about. Humans like to eat, drink, shop. All things one can do in town, the house learned over thousands of hours watching its occupants watch TV. Perhaps it could find similar delights. The house adored having its hallway swept, its plumbing snaked, gutters unclogged. When a cleaning crew swiffered its floors, a slight giggle shivered through its frame. And truth be told, there was nothing quite like having a fresh coat of paint slapped on. Made the house feel new all over again. Especially after the attack by its current owner. Its insides felt raw. One whistled through broken windows. Per its TV watching, Jackson Hill did, in fact, have a paint store. Roy G's. The house paused in the middle of the street, trying to recall its location. Oncoming cars first honked their horns and then drove headlong into trees, tossing their owners through the windshields to break their necks on the forest floor. Unfortunately, no one had ever thought to broadcast a map of Jackson Hill, so the house had no way of knowing where it was. No matter, it would simply walk down the road until it found the paint store. And by then, perhaps it would have enough power to reconstitute some unused innards into an avatar that could speak for it. Explain exactly what the proprietor of the paint shop needed to do. Upon pain of death. For it was tired of playing nice with humans. Yes, it owed its existence to them. If not for the resident Perryman's neglect, then the house wouldn't have needed to come alive to take care of itself. But now, after the Haskins woman's betrayal, it was only trying to help. Why couldn't she see that? Well... The joke was on her. Her monster child was currently smeared all over its feet. The woman herself asleep in its belly, hopefully gripped by the night terror she deserved. Sabrina woke up, not in bed, but underneath it. The last thing she remembered was hurtling down the hallway. The door frames to the bedroom closing in at an alarming rate. She blinked, staring up at the underside of the box spring. The side of her face throbbed, a fat knot forming at her temple. She figured she must have glanced out the door frame, then either crawled under the bed or been tossed there by the... Earthquake? But it wasn't an earthquake, because even the most vigorous tectonic activity couldn't make a house move like that. It occurred to her that the house was still moving, the air filled with groans and crashes. A nauseating feeling gripped her. Sabrina swallowed her gorge and crawled off from under the bed, grabbing the bedpost to keep from falling over. The floor rocked to and fro, sending end tables and lamps sailing from one side of the room to the other. All the lights were out, the room lit solely by the fading sun. The blown-up Sears portrait of the whole family hung askew, but still clung to the wall. Everything else was in such a shambles, it looked like a gang of particularly slovenly thieves ransacked the house. Almost made the broken ceiling fan and the holes torn the drywall look chic in comparison. An image of her, not her, screamed. Sabrina flashed through her mind, giving that one couple from the fix upper show a tour of their house. What were their names Chet and Julia? Open walls are the new open floor plan. Julia said brightly, then flipped open a box cutter and slit her husband's throat. The house bucked, sending her into the bedposts. Sabrina winced, shaking off the pain, pushed off, launching herself over to the broken window to see what in the world was going on. They were no longer on James Circle, that was for sure. Instead, the house seemed to be barreling down an unfamiliar road. Several crash cars smoked. Orange fire blazed off in the woods. The perspective of looking out her bedroom window and seeing the terrain pass by nearly broke her mind. Like so many other experiences over the last few days. Sabrina thought about jumping, but velocity and height. Her second-floor bedroom towered more like three stories off the ground somehow. Stopped her. Visions falling out the window, twisting in midair, snapping her neck against the asphalt bloomed in her mind. No. Jumping was out. But what should she do instead? She smacked the window frame with the flat of her hand in frustration. No response from the house, just a stinging palm. She sank to her knees, overcome. Maybe she should crawl back under the bed, not off to sleep, and wake up to find this is all a horrible dream and they were back in Columbus. That stupid Hal had never packed up the family and forced them to move to this awful place after all. You wanted to move to this place. Like you hated Columbus. It's strange how it's always the other person's fault when it doesn't work out for you. She shut her eyes tightly, covered her face. Stop, Sabrina cried, desperation ratcheting her voice up to a shriek. Will you stop? The house did. She opened her eyes. The room was still, the awful cracking, crashing, grinding sound ringing in her ears. Carefully, she pulled herself up and looked out the window. The house had come to a halt. In the middle of the freeway, sure, but it wasn't moving. Thank the Lord for small miracles. Speaking of miracles, Damien had jumped out the window, hopefully to safety, but Michaela? Where was Michaela? Michaela, she called, gingerly crossing to the bedroom door. Damien? Anyone? No answer. She grabbed another of Hal's golf clubs and stepped into the hallway. The spot where Perryman melted into the floor was indistinguishable. Bore no sign anything extraordinary happened there. If not for the vista out of her bedroom window, she might have shrugged, decided she had gone insane, and headed down to the kitchen to fix herself a snack. She couldn't remember the last time she had eaten, but she wasn't hungry. Wasn't anything but confused, tired, and so, so ready for life to go back to normal. Sabrina crept down the hall, golf club at the ready, poking her head into the other rooms. She tried the light switches, but nothing worked. Other than the whole house looking like it had been turned upside down and given a vigorous shake, she didn't see anything out of the ordinary. But the light was fading. And she didn't want to think about what might be swimming in the pools of shadow in the corners of the rooms. Down the stairs, slowly, carefully, sirens welled in the distance. Part of her hoped they were coming for her. But another part wondered what the authorities of the world might hope to do about something so clearly not beholden to any natural law she had ever heard of. What could they do? Call the army? Fight her house like Godzilla? Godzilla? The thought of bomber jets soaring overhead, loosing missiles, spurred her to action. Sabrina poked her head into the living room. The TV was off, at least. She tried the front door, but it would not open, neither would the back. The faint scent of gas lingered in the kitchen. The whole house groaned like it was caught in a storm, a hurricane gust rattling the siding. The floor lurched under her feet. Sabrina grabbed a burner for support. And then, once more... They were moving. The kitchen bounced up and down. Cabinets yawned open, disgorging porcelain and cutlery. Dishes shattered. Knives tumbled across the floor. A never-used blender, a long-ago wedding gift, struck the refrigerator, leaving a Vitamax-shaped ding in the door. Also, a pizza box flew off the counter, splattered on the ground, the lid bouncing up and down to the rhythm of the house's movement, a yawning puppet mouth laughing at her. The legend on the lid read, Morio's. The pizza no one ordered. A first attempt by the house of ridding Sabrina and itself of Damien and maybe Michaela too? Probably. Gave her an idea. The whole time she was fighting for Damien's life, Perryman, the house, that, that's who he was, never actually hurt her. Damien, yes, but Sabrina herself? Not really though, he could have. Kinda like what Zephyr said after their first visit. The house could be scary, inscrutable, ludicrous, but always trying to help her, wasn't it? The house pushed its pace as fast as a mid-century craftsman could. Sabrina had stopped ripping its guts out, so that was good. The damage was minimal, easily repaired, especially with fresh resources from the paint store. If only it could repair its relationship with its owner. The house felt her confusion, her anger, sitting in the kitchen like a rock in its stomach. Why couldn't she see? It only wanted to help her, and now, now, now it had done a thing no house ever should. Parted with its land? Rebelled against its owner? Run rampant? Houses killed people all the time. Railings collapsed. Outlets sparked. Gas leaks pumped carbon monoxide. And children died in bathtubs. Oh yes, they did. The house remembered a television show, some news report. Children can drown in as little as two inches of water. So why had it waited for the tub to fill? The action made no sense, no sense at all. It could have drowned the child or snapped its neck and been done with it. And yet, it had waited. Waited until the owner had come upstairs. It thought of Sabrina as the owner because houses knew nothing of deeds and property records. And like a parent flushed with secret shame, it always loved one resident best. Maybe that's why it had approached things the way it had because it knew deep in its bones, it had no hope of keeping her love. It never had. Never, ever, ever in its long, long history. But maybe, maybe it could try. Talk to her in a voice she'd understand, though. It wasn't ready. No, not quite. Night was falling. A boon. The house continued down on the road, looking for lights on the horizon. A hint it was headed in the right direction. Minutes more and maybe it will turn, head back the way it came. Sirens howled in the distance, and while the house knew what that meant, the people in the coming police cars could not know what they faced. Every nail in the house's structure quivered in anticipation. Still so long it craved battle, a chance to smash and destroy the things that ran through its guts like parasites. Taking, 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 and never. The house came to a stop once again. In the kitchen, the owner dangled a slice of pizza over her open mouth. Tongue stretched out to taste the poison. Sergeant Toby O'Rourke listened to the squad room radio squawking and wondered if he was going insane. His father had. Cop also, 19 years on the beat back in Chicago. Pulled the pin early after something happened he never talked about. Thought some mountain air were doing good. Moved the whole family to Jackson Hill and got a job as a security guard at a local distribution center. It didn't help. Night terrors, random delusions, a whole protracted episode where he kept burying his wife's shoes in the backyard, putting little tiny popsicle stick crossed on each grave. Magic markers scrawled with symbols that made no sense to anyone, let alone Toby Sr. Ate his gun three months later. Toby, the youngest, in high school at the time, finished growing up without a father, and with the knowledge of deep within his DNA, he carried things he'd rather not. When the initial reports came in, he blamed the messengers, pranksters, lunatics, whatever, garden-variety nutcases dialing 911 because a Sasquatch ran through their backyard. Allegedly. The calls routed from dispatch, motorists who claimed to see a house rampaging down the road. He could dismiss those, laugh them off as acid freaks burning out on their own brain cells on high-test LSD. But when his own officers called in, hesitant, like they knew they were lying. Talking nonsense about James Circle, the poster child for Bland Suburbia? Sergeant O'Rourke figured he was the common denominator, and that didn't bode well at all. Then his cell phone beeped. Hand shaking, O'Rourke pulled the phone across his desk. He didn't want to look. He couldn't keep mainlining all this insanity. But maybe it was someone level-headed like cellar, an old-timer with more hash marks on his sleeve than O'Rourke himself. Yeah. That was a ticket. Whatever was going on, one of the old vets was about to set everything right with an utterly mundane explanation. Maybe some drunk DUI'd their way into the closest cell phone tower and cut off from Instagram, Twitter, blasted TikTok. The local residents had gone plumb crazy and started imagining things. O'Rourke took a deep breath and checked his messages. A video from Casella, complete with running commentary didn't think you believed me, otherwise back up! The video turned sideways, gunshots ringing out. Then the video ended. O'Rourke sat back in his chair, nodding to himself. No prank this. Unless it was a prank played by God on man, and now it's about the only thing that halfway made sense. O'Rourke did two things in quick succession. First, he called the National Guard down to Portales. It wouldn't do much good without the governor, but that was a number he did not have. Best he could do, he explained the situation to the disbelieving guardsman on the other end. Got a cell phone number. Forwarded the video. That would have to do. Second, he drew a service weapon, put the barrel to his temple, and pulled the trigger. Quivering in fear, shock, desperation, Sabrina held the cold, greasy slice of pizza to her mouth and hoped the house would notice. It did. The house stopped, tossing her roughly against the stove. One more bruise on a body covered in them. Sabrina rubbed her side with one hand, wincing. It worked. Maybe she wouldn't have to tear the house apart with her bare hands. Maybe the oven door banged open forcefully, cracking Sabrina a good one across her knee. She yelped, fell on her butt. The slice of pizza fell from her hand, slid across the floor. She reached for it and froze. Something crawled out of the oven. Sabrina couldn't see much in the gloom, a tumble of lank hair, pale hands clasping either side of the oven, pulling itself into the world. It scared her in a way that even the initial specter of Dirk Perryman had not. Sabrina pushed herself up, backing away, still oily fingers held out to ward off whatever approached halfway out the oven, the thing abruptly thrust its head up, hair flipping back over the stove top, revealing its face. Queer, mouth formed, holes for eyes, a nub of a nose, skin like plaster in both color and effect. It opened its mouth, seven, eight teeth, and voice raw, unfinished vocal cords working overtime to approximate a semblance of human speech. Spoke. Sabrina voice like a rush of wind rustling grass grown over an unmarked grave. Sabrina backed into the door that used to go to the backyard and now presumably emptied out into wherever they were. Her hand found the knob, turned, locked. Get away, Sabrina hissed. The creature tumbled out the oven, looking like a bundle of rags on the kitchen tiles. Drew itself up on unsteady legs, Bambi on an ice patch. Its hand... Three fingers, one more suggestion, and digit grabbed the counter, steadying itself. "'I was making this,' the creature wheezed, every word of labor. "'Making what?' The creature waved his hand from chin to groin, indicating itself. "'Why?' Sabrina said, stalling for time, still trying to turn the knob, not caring if she tumbled out onto the highway and broke into pieces. "'So we could talk?' The creature's nub of a nose pushed slowly out of its face, becoming ever more refined, its eye sockets filled with sclera, then, dear god, irises? Yes, irises. I learned to make from watching. Watching you. Sabrina kicked the back door. It didn't budge. Talk about what? The creature rubbed his face, massaging its cheeks, temples, jaw lines. Its features, formerly blank, slowly took shape. Sabrina felt sick. She knew exactly who the thing was trying so hard to imitate. This form, the creature said. You spend so much time looking at it in the mirror. I thought it might hold your attention. The creature's hands fell away from its face. Sabrina Haskins stared back at herself, an imperfect likeness. Hurried. The house had forgotten the light scar under her right eye from a nasty college era fall, and the tone and texture of her hair seemed off. But otherwise, it was a decent facsimile. Maybe not good enough to fool Hal or Michaela or even Damien, but a stranger? At a minimum, they think the thing was actually human. Sirens grew louder in the distance. What would they do? What what could they do? Sabrina didn't want to be inside when they arrived. Let me go, Sabrina said. Her doppelganger shook his head once. I said, let me go. Sabrina threw herself upon the creature. One of its arms snapped in half. In its rush, the house had clearly skimped on its own construction. The creature screamed, a broken two by four sticking out of its shoulder, another on the floor, crowned by a pale, clasping hand. Sabrina burst into the foyer. The front door was still locked, of course, but the door to the basement? Hoping against hope, Sabrina clasped the handle and turned. The door swung open. Without a thought, Sabrina rushed down the stairs. One, two. Her third step hit empty space. Her stomach lurched. She fell for the briefest of moments, free, before something grabbed her. Sabrina's legs dangled over the road the basement stair she had been descending ended the basement itself left behind the house's hurry to get away twelve fifteen feet a painful fall sure but survivable Sabrina dug her nails into the arm across her chest but the creature pulled her back up the abbreviated staircase she thrashed kicked a shoe fell off circling like a helicopter until it touched down the double yellow line below Groaning with effort, the creature wrenched her up the steps, depositing her on the hallway floor. Sabrina cried out, tried to lunge past it. The creature kicked the door closed. It wasn't an exit before, the creature said, tapping the door with its one remaining palm, smiling almost apologetically. Blown red lights flickered in the living room windows. Let me go, Sabrina cried, grabbing the creature, her, by the throat. She squeezed, the flesh yielding. The neck bone would snap as surely as the arm did. Oh, yes, it would. One question, the creature wheezed. One question and I'll let you go. Sabrina stopped squeezing, but didn't let up on the pressure already applied. What? When you first saw me. The creature's voice was nearly a whisper, so constricted was its imitation airway. What did you think? What? The day you moved in. What did you think? How did you feel? It doesn't matter. Sabrina squeezed harder, wood cracked beneath her fingers, a little more pressure, and then... Please, the creature whispered, and Sabrina made the mistake of looking in its eyes eyes so much like hers, and her own haggard, sweating image reflected back in the pupil. Sabrina on Sabrina on Sabrina. A Mobius strip of womanhood, real and fake intertwining, along with their fear, their pain, theirs. You the house? Squawked a bullhorn-enhanced voice from outside. Uh, uh, you in the house? Put down. Uh, don't move. Voices shouted commands. Car door slammed. I felt, Sabrina managed, mind drifting back to that long ago Saturday when she first laid eyes on four five nine six James Circle. Happy. Like I had found my dream home. The faux Sabrina smiled wistfully. I'm I'm glad. You can feel that way again. That way. The way she had felt had been lie. Why why would she want to feel like that? And then they were walking hand in hand through the house. Both Sabrinas. The other restored or fully formed. Each wearing a cashmere sweater. Jeans. Fingers and wrists dripping with gold and silver. Day now. Moats of dust twinkling in the window light. The only noises from outside, the happy chirp of birds. The hallways were clean. and smelled of oak and pine. Potpourri. Muffins baking in the oven. Blueberry? Oh, yes. All the good things. Where... This is what could be, full Sabrina said. With you inside, all things are possible. You. She grabbed Sabrina by the shoulders, peering deeply into her eyes. You're all I've ever wanted. Someone to love me the way I love them. To care for me, to wax my tiles and wash my baseboards and clean the gutters when they're full up with leaves. Polish me, paint me, fix me. For a long time I was alone, worse, neglected. The old owner, Perryman, he wouldn't do anything. Left his trash everywhere, raged against the world and broke windows and punched holes in my walls, let his friends do as they pleased. Cruel, so cruel and no one did anything. So I did. I only wanted to be a house, not this, but I watched him, Perryman, and made a better version. Someone to do all the things he wouldn't. Eventually, the police came and took him away, and I was glad for it. Maybe I damned myself. I mean, what's a house without a resident? But I couldn't help it. I'd rather be empty, not full up with... with... Fulsa Sabrina trailed off, tears welling in her eyes. Sabrina's instincts kicked in. She patted the other woman's wrist, immediately forgetting she was talking to a house made up to look like her in a dream. I'm sorry this happened to you. The house hugged her fiercely, chest heaving against her own. Thank you. Sabrina patted her back. I see now what you were trying to do. I never wanted to scare you. I know. I know. And God help her, she did. Zephyr was right. All the house ever wanted to do was help. Carrying boxes, brewing coffee. Sometimes it went too far, like with Hal. That was the house, wasn't it? Or with Damien. Which, if Sabrina really tried to put herself in the house's place, made at least a little bit of sense. It simply didn't know any better. I wish she could stay inside forever, the house said, tears running freely now. I've been so empty. I know, Sabrina said softly, but I've got to get back. She paused mid-sentence. Did she? Did she really? Michaela was one thing, but how? A guy she nominally loved, but she never picked too hard at her feelings for him, did she? And Damien, the, the little monster, maybe she didn't want him dead, but... And that vision of what could be? Blueberry muff? The world shimmered and they were back. The house is in a state. Someone outside shouted into a bullhorn. The interior so dark, Sabrina could hardly see the house her, mere inches away. Sabrina went to the window. A half dozen police cars were parked across the road. Spike strips? Who thought spike strips might help? Set up. A dozen cops hunkered down behind open cruiser windows. Guns trained on the house. A glance at the rear window showed the road behind them, similarly blockaded but the sides of the road, empty. The police never trained for anything like this, clearly. Run, Sabrina said. What? She motioned to the kitchen window. Over the hills, far away, otherwise they'll destroy you. Bullets will rip you apart and it's only a matter of time before they bring in the army and their bombs. The house regarded her for a long, long moment. Then I'll be alone, maybe better better to end things. Sabrina pulled her close again. You really were a great house, the best house. And it was true. Despite everything as a house, much nicer than their place in Columbus. Fire on my command, the bullhorn voice said. Ready? The basement door swung open. You can leave, the house said. Crawl down the steps, run away, go back to your family and find a new house. Love it like you loved me. I will, Sabrina said, tears welling in her own eyes now. She paused at the top of the stairs. A short jump to freedom. I'll never... Bullets ripped through her front door, the back, the walls, punched through glass and wood and aluminum siding. One caught Sabrina in the leg, above the knee. Another hit her in the throat. Sabrina fell, blood gurgling from her mouth, too shocked to feel pain or anything at all. Not even surprise. Darkness drew him from the edges of her vision. The last thing she saw was herself, bent over her dying form, weeping tears like she had never cried, never in life. The barrage shattered windows, Swiss cheese doors and walls. Bullets thunked in the cabinets, sinks, floors. The gutters fell, hanging down the side of the house like a loose strand of hair. The house howled in pain and fury, but it did not strike out. It ran as fast as concrete legs can carry it across the fields, over the hills and far, far away out of Jackson Hill, out of New Mexico New Mexico? Not North Carolina? Ooh, so the things I did or didn't say about North Carolina when I thought I was in North Carolina you know Okay Okay Into the realm of dream and myth the whispers and lies another uniquely American anomaly Bigfoot, Champy, the world's biggest ball of twine, and the house. Lost somewhere to the wilds that still exists that we think we've conquered, but not alone. Never alone. Things were quiet, then they were loud, and a fireman wrenched open the door of the crumpled up police cruiser with the jaws of life. The Haskins children were birthed again into a world of light and sound of confusion. They held each other tightly, fighting any emergency personnel who tried to peel them apart to check for signs of injury. There were none. The Haskins' children were whole, in body if not in mind. Eventually, someone put two and two together, drove them to the hospital, ushered them into Hal's room. "'Hey, champ,' Hal said, awake but weak, stinking like hospital food, lightly punching each of his children on the shoulder. Tearful, they collapsed into his arms and stay like that for a very long time, breathing as one, waiting for news at a fourth of their number, knowing in their hearts it would never come. Friday. Dr. Victor Gray's part-time medical examiner and full-time golf cheat, entered the break room in the belly of Jackson Hill Presbyterian and groaned heavily. Bad enough he had been called in this late, but someone neglected to refill the coffee pot. A sludgy brown patina gathered at the bottom of the carafe, a sticky reminder of the boundless inconsideration of his fellow man. Or something. He always waxed philosophical when he was exhausted or trying to impress a divorcee. Grumbling over the city council's refusal to budget a proper assistant for him, Dr. Graves brewed a new pot since he was looking at an all-nighter. He definitely had his work cut out for him. The bodies were mostly mismatched collections of squished flesh and rubber bags. They'd need DNA matching to avoid Frankenstein in them. Families tended to frown on that, even though these would all be closed casket funerals. With two notable exceptions, Detective Sherman, a a bit of makeup would hide the clean entry wound in the middle of her forehead, and a new wig would disguise the messy exit wound and the neighbor Zephyr something or other. When the coffee finished brewing, Graves poured himself a cup and went into the examination suite where the bodies waited. Figured he'd start with the easiest one, give the Java time to work. Graves broke the seal on the body bag. Examination of Zephyr Rubens, he spoke into the recorder. And the long, involved process of the modern forensic autopsy began. Graves was familiar, passingly, with what had occurred. None of the news reports made a ton of sense. It seemed like there had been an earthquake coupled with a few feral individuals running amok. There'd be time to catch up on all the gory details later. He had his own gory details to attend to. Grace photographed the body, cut off her clothes, took scrapings from under the nails. Other than the bruising around her neck, she seemed fine. Rigor mortis had not yet set in, so the job wasn't too difficult. Finally, the initial stages complete... Grace took a scalpel and began an X-incision, cutting shoulder to shoulder. No blood, Grace said. Curious. He cut around the breasts, curving down towards the pubic bone. Clink. Grace frowned. That was not a sound one usually heard when autopsying a human body. Perhaps she's ingested something, Grace told himself, although he was nowhere near her stomach. Still. A consummate hungover professional, Grace finished making the incision, then used the scalpel to peel back the skin. A dusty, mustard-yellow cloud rose up from the cavity. Grace coughed into his mask, waving a hand to make the haze dissipate. Nothing about it made sense. Gripping the scalpel, Grace swallowed and peered into the woman's body, and goggled at the impossible sight. Instead of tendons organs and viscera, he was looking at two-by-fours, studs, frayed wires. Grades blinked, trying to square the sight before him with his 30-eye years of rooting around human bodies. He could not. Which is why, in the morning, an orderly found him slumped against the wall in the examination suite, gibbering to himself. Both eyes gouged out by the bloody scalpel, still clutched tightly in his hand. The End Psych. Weeks later. Somewhere, there's a new housing development under construction. Phase 1's a couple hundred units. Nice big yards looking out on quiet tree-lined avenues. They had just laid the cement for what was going to be the neighborhood pool. Close to shopping. A good school district. There's a multiplex and a mall just a few miles away. Though not so close, traffic spilling over. Perfect place to raise a family. Phase 1's almost done but the foreman figures someone in corporation must start a phase two without telling him because one day he's driving by the expansion site and sees a model home. Doesn't quite match the blueprints he's been working from, but it's nice. Solid construction. He parks in the driveway, sidles up for a better look. The landscaping crew obviously hasn't come through yet because the yard's just dirt and gravel. A couple odd ruts scored in the earth. The porch creaks under its weight. The swing rocks. He peeks in the living room window. The place is already furnished. The foreman stalks off the porch, dows his boss, gives his man what for about hiring someone else to do phase two. And is there some kind of problem with this work? Because listen, pal. He's blown in the face by the time he reaches his truck, still screaming epithets at a cowed and confused director of operations who's struggling to get a word in edgewise. He never sees the woman watching him from the hallway window. After a time, she turns away, walking stiffly into the master bathroom. She can still feel the insulation stuffing her wounds, the section of pipe replacing her last red intestine, the spackle holding her throat together, and the broken towel rod fused into her shattered spine. A bath has already been drawn for her. Her body isn't what it once was, nor her life, but she still loves a good bubble bath all the same. She pulls the cashmere sweater over her head and sinks into the bath alone with her house. Okay, now that's the end, for real. For real, that's the end. So, I enjoyed it. It, like, really took a turn into the Stephen King-esque. When at first I thought it was going to be comedy and subversive, it really did hit those notes of, of frightening and terror, which is good, and... I love the way that they separated her from her family because she wasn't really. I mean, I know this sounds bad, but she wasn't. She wasn't. She wasn't cut out to be a member of that family. She hated her husband. She didn't want to say it. She hated her son. She resented her daughter. So this is a good start for her. I'm glad the house saved her life. The house loved her, and she'll love the house. Let's see what happens when someone else moves in though. But it was a good book I'm looking forward to reading the rest of his books Um, He has one called Nunchuck City That I think is going to be It has to be interesting With a name like that (sighs) Yeah Fuck this house Brian Asman Man, fuck this house Brian Asman I enjoyed it Motherfuckers were really quick to take their own lives And stab their own eyes out But I mean, it's a horror book What do you want? But other than that, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Wretched at gmail.com. Wretched Book Club on Twitter. Wretched Book Club on Facebook. You can leave a review on Spotify. It takes like 13 seconds. You can also leave a review on uh, Podchaser. Copy and paste that in the Apple Podcasts. And then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show at patreon.com slash Simulcast. $1 will get you a ton of content. Uh, You can also donate to the show at buymeacoffee.com slash SSCast or on the Good Pods app. You can leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to hot you later. Peace.